0: I acquired a, um, a nickname in high school, I, probably just because it was cumulative after, um, you know, going through middle school and just really, really being involved. I thank my parents for sort of just raising me in the church. Uh, we grew up when there was still like night church, and so we went to morning church and night church, and we were thankful for night church because night church meant you didn't have to wear your church clothes. And so night church was good. And then Wednesday night, we were there for youth group. And so I ended up foregoing sort of a lot of like school connections for, for church activities. And some of that probably was forced until it was learned. <laughs> but eventually, my nickname at school was Church Boy, uh, mostly in the locker room. And I kind of owned it with a little bit of pride. And here's what was good about that. Uh, it allowed me to use that as an excuse to just not participate in the things I knew I ought not to do. I'm like, yeah, that's who I am. And so it's okay. Yeah, you'll take a little bit of ridicule. And I, I eventually kind of own that. So I, I had to sacrifice a little bit of, uh, I don't know, face value or like, you know, pride or uh, having some kind of reputation. Um, just to kind of, to, to belong in the church the way that I did and to kind of grow up the way that I did and commit uh thankfully by God's grace, to uh, just be um, kind of as steadfast as a, as a teenage man might be or a teenage boy would be uh, at that age. And sure, I had my bumps in the road, but I, I was kind of proud of that nickname, and I, I'm glad I had it, but I trust that you guys have all had that experience where you've had to sacrifice something in order to, to belong somewhere or to, to give something up uh, to fit in or to be accepted or to lose something in order to gain something better. Like, I hope that even if that's not having to do with church, I think we've all had that experience in in some way or another. And so that's really, if you think about it, the core, that's like the foundation level of the gospel, that Jesus came, he sacrificed all the glory and honor that was due to him. If you want to just scribble down Philippians 2, talks about how Jesus emptied himself of the right to claim all of the glory from anybody that could utter a breath, and he, he set that aside. And he came down and he served, not to be served. And so that that aspect of the gospel is essential for us to understand. And because he's done that, it puts now that um, opportunity also before those who have faith. We have that same option, that same opportunity. If you want to think about it that way, to serve God by foregoing or sacrificing so that others can um, so that others can benefit. And so. Um, this, this opportunity and this choice presents itself like lots of different ways. It's not always reputation. Sometimes it's financial or sometimes like there's something, there's an opportunity and it's by sacrificing this thing, by laying down this right, by whatever it is, I could extend uh, this this freedom or this, this uh, message to somebody different, somebody new, somebody that would not have access it, access it otherwise. And so that responsibility and that opportunity sort of lays with us now as the church. And so I just want to start out reading through 1 Corinthians 9 because Paul kind of unpacks the idea of what is our, what is our missionary um, thrust? What do we do with the gospel? So, so great, you're in. And so he's talking about what he does with it now that he's been given this opportunity. He says, though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Who is the them? Well, that's the people that don't know yet. That's the people that have yet to hear. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. That's an important distinction that we're going to get through this morning. Why? So that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of uh, God, but under the law of Christ. So he, he makes that distinction. I, I came like one who was under the law to the people who are under the law. Even though I myself am not under it, I'm under the law of Christ. Well, what is that law? Well, that's, we're going to get to that. Why? So that I might win those who are outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means. That means not every possible means, but every possible opportunity. That by every means I'm given, I will do all that I can that I might save some by performing this action. And I do it all, why? For the sake of the gospel. So there it is. It's rooted in my, my own being saved. My own faith makes me, it forces me, that's the impetus for moving forward. So why? So that I might share with them in its blessings. Okay? So that's sort of the framework for this, this morning. So we're called to this, this same kind of mindset, this same kind of, of value. In light of Christ's love and his sacrifice and his coming um, to serve us, setting aside his, what, what he's rightly due, that gives us now this opportunity. What, what is this sacrifice? There's some sacrifice that you are called to make so that you might be useful in the kingdom for the gospel. Why? So I might... Save some, right So I might illuminate for them what they don't know yet, so that I can bring a message that they have not yet received. And so this morning through those were Paul's words. so through Paul's words, we, we get the the what? okay? And then in Timothy's example this morning, we kind of get a how. It's not a how that we can all apply to ourselves, but it gives us sort of uh, shoes to put on that idea. And so uh, with that said this morning, We'll pray for our time in the Word. We'll be in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, and we're talking about being free, freed to serve, which is sort of that real antithetical, upside-down idea that happens so much in the gospel. And talking about opportunity costs, get out of here, and that could be read two ways. You, like, go, get out of this place, but also get out of here. That's what I have to do? We'll find out. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for those that have come this morning to... Um, sit under the teaching, not from me, but from um, your mouth and by your spirit, so that we can learn and that you would be glorified in shaping who we are by your word, so that through the spirit that we might um, do more for your glory, that we would serve, that we would leave this place, and that we would take the gospel through um many obstacles and opportunities that we are presented with. So, Father, I pray that you would use the morning to encourage us, to challenge us, and just to grow us more in maturity and likeness of your son. So, we ask that you do this for us and in us. We need your spirit. So, we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. Well, let me just recap real briefly. Last week, so that we're all on the same page if we're not starting from the same page. So Paul and Barnabas, the dynamic duo, have they split ways. And um, the point of last week was not to identify one guy is the right guy and the other guy is the wrong guy. And I kind of went to great lengths to step around that because the wrong application of that is to go, yeah, see, if, if you don't do that, then you'll avoid splitting ways. And the truth is, that's not the truth. <laughs> you, you might not be able to avoid splitting ways at all costs. The real point of it was not just too bad, don't be like them. It was at the cost of faithfulness, do all that you must to be faithful. And sometimes that leads you to uh, different paths. So that was the main idea. And um, and so, it's not rooted in sort of this sinful disagreement or one person doing something wrong and the other person being right and there being a clash between two, two warring opinions in that sense, right? And so, that because of the nature of that event and it not being quite a, a one-to-one thing and, and it's, it was hard to like get an application out of it, it kind of seemed real obscure. And this morning, thankfully, you get a really good example of how to put the application on in Timothy, and what happens with him. And so overall, there's, there's a, a call to faithfulness always, right? That's, that's the number one measurement of our lives. Faithfulness to the mission of the gospel. Faithfulness to Christ. Faithfulness to his word. And so um, the, the point this morning, let me just read it. This is the thesis. So that if I go on some rabbit trail, you'll know what you were supposed to learn. Okay? All right. Faith in the gospel frees us then it calls us to serve that gospel, okay? So we should willingly sacrifice in faithfulness when we have the opportunity to be useful. Why? For the good of others. And the good of others has like a two-pronged idea, okay? So all of that, it's a call to to gospel faithfulness at every opportunity so that you can be useful to the gospel for others. And there's a two-pronged others. There's the people that are already in the church, those are the others you need to be useful to and faithful to the gospel. And then the there's those who are outside the church. Those are unbelievers who were also called to serve by our faithfulness in the gospel. That's the thesis. So we all, we're all together this morning. Okay, here we go. And to Lystra. And there was a disciple there named Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Now. same city, saw him stoned with large stones, not marijuana-like. He's stoned inside the city, assumed dead, drug outside the city, left for dead, okay? So that's Paul's last visit here. And so you got to put that in the context of it wasn't the people in the city that actually Paul and to kill him, okay? Assuming they had done their duty, they drag him outside the city and leave him for dead. But we're told that the believers or the brothers gather around Paul and he pops back up. And he doesn't make his escape. He goes right back in the city, okay? Now, this all happens to be in Timothy's hometown. That's why that's important. So here's what you have to know. Timothy, for certain, had some kind of audience in that event. Whether or not he was one of the brothers that gathered around when, when Paul was assumed dead and he just jumps up and then goes back in the city, that's possible. Or maybe he wasn't outside the city, but he was inside the city, and he knew that Paul was killed and then drugged outside the city, and then he sees him come back in, Okay? So either way, if you're audience to that, I want you to just sort of process what you would think about the gospel, about that kind of message, and about the kind of person that carries that message after being killed for sharing that message, and then goes right back to that same thing, right? Just just think about the kind of impact that would have on you and in your life. So how that might shape Timothy's thinking about this message, about what it means to serve the gospel. So we're introduced to Timothy here. We're told that he has a good reputation among the brothers, but we also get some like, some background information, and this isn't just um, you know flourishes in, in the story for, for interest. These are important things that we need to know. Timothy is half-Jewish, and the Jewish woman we're introduced to is his mother. That's Eunice. We find out him and his grandmother sort of raised Timothy. So for whatever reason, his, his dad's like out of the picture. So he's been largely raised like in a, in a, a, a female-dominated um, uh, upbringing, and his father's uh, Greek, and he's a believer, and so he's got this mishmash sort of uh, of, a, of a, a legacy or a heritage or a reputation, if you want to think about it that way. So Timothy's father is Greek, and the emphasis is given there because the, the Jewish heritage is reckoned through the mother, right? That's why it says his mother was Jewish, but his father was Greek, and that contrast has meant, meant for you to see he, he's not reckoned as Jewish because his father was Greek and did not do what was required to keep him in the covenant, to to, to identify him as a, a Jew, which was circumcision. And so Timothy has this reputation. He's well spoken of by the brothers. That's the people inside the church, believers. And he's considered mature. So you also need to take note here that he's mature. And that's why Paul identifies him as somebody that's worth investing in. He's seen and he has got, he's got this good reputation. And so maturity is not measured necessarily in age, right? We tend to think the older people are more mature, and sometimes they are, but sometimes they're not, especially when it comes to the church, especially when it comes to the faith. Maturity is measured in faithfulness, in obedience, not in age. In 1 Timothy, which is the letter that Paul writes to Timothy later as he's being a leader in the church, he reminds Timothy of this aspect he says, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. So he's, he's a young man. I'll qualify that in a second. But set an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So we're supposed to get the sense here that age does not matter so, so far as you lead through maturity. You lead through faithfulness. You lead through being um, faithful to uh, set an example for others. And so um, there's a great debate around how old Timothy is. This makes me feel real good, and maybe it'll make you feel good. So at this time, you were reckoned a youth all the way up until forty. So I'm still a youth, all right. It's unlikely that he's forty years old, but he's not like uh, he's not a teenager. He's likely somewhere twenty, like young twenties. And uh, some people believe he's as old as thirty, and that's going to become an important note for you. So he's he's a he's a mature a maturing and a mature man at this point by by age, but also. By maturity in the faith. And so, um, so we see what, what happens with this. So Paul sees Timothy, one who's mature, and he wants, to, he wants him to accompany him to, to take this gospel, to keep going on the missionary journey. He wants Timothy, Timothy to accompany him. And so he took him, and he circumcised him, and everyone groaned. Because the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Okay. Now, that's, if, if, if you follow the story at all, that should feel abrupt that should feel like, wait, we're back, we're going backwards. We spent a full chapter in, I don't know, like eight weeks talking about the fact that you didn't need to be circumcised to be included in the church. And so why does Paul now choose to have Timothy circumcised to accompany him? So Timothy has a good reputation. That's something that he himself has invested in, right? He's worked towards that. He's been faithful, whatever that looked like to, to have this good reputation among the believers and. Um, our reputation, though, is not always measured just by, like, in religious ways. So among the people, just if you look at the people that are around you, they probably think something about how you are mature or not mature in the faith. And what, what, what you present here on Sundays when we gather, that's one reputation. But all of us have another reputation that doesn't include the church people. It's everybody outside the church. It's how you're thought of by everybody else, right? We, we all have both of those kind of reputations. We have the, 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 the insider reputation that we have within some small club or group of people that kind of think of us one way, and then what everybody else really knows about us, what everybody else really thinks about us, and Timothy is no exception. It says that everybody knows, all of them. I don't know how they all know, but they all know that his father was Greek, and that's pointed out because of the fact that he was not included in the Jewish faith. His father was Greek, and so his flesh tells two stories. He has the right heritage. He has like the birthright, but he did not take the right steps to be included or to be identified with that group of people. And so he's not observing the covenant, if you want to think about it that way. And that's not a choice that Timothy made. And and, and amongst the church and amongst the believers, he's made some choices that give him a certain reputation. But outside, he's got another reputation, and he didn't do anything to contribute to that. It's just his father didn't circumcise him on the eighth day. He wasn't old enough to make that choice, right? So that's why the, the males were called to, to do that so that they would be seen as uh, obedient to the covenant. So there's some things for all of us that might make us either predisposed to be extra useful or to be um, better at some things. And, and we did no part in choosing that or making that possible. And, and so we're, we're, we're more useful to some things in some ways because of choices that were made around us. That's like family or your upbringing. And sometimes we have things or choices that were made that influence us, that make things more difficult or put obstacles in our way so that we're not predisposed to be included in certain groups or to not achieve some things uh, as easily as we might have, I think, I don't know how long you've been doing computers, but my my dad's always been like a quote unquote computer guy. So I was like raised around computers. So I'm fairly adept at technology. I sort of adopted that, adapted it because it was just second nature to me. So because because of what my dad did, that influenced me, I'm predisposed towards technology and that gives me opportunities that I might not have uh, had Had we been raised in, had I been raised in like some other family? So you see that there's choices sometimes that are made that influence you, that can give you opportunities or predispose you for things, but there's also obstacles that are given, right? My dad is not a multi-billionaire, so I don't have the option to just be a trust fund kid, right? So some of you guys don't feel like that's a very big obstacle, but I'm just saying there are things in our lives that influence us that might be obstacles or they might be um, opportunities, so either way, these things uh, relate to our ability to, uh, to walk in these different opportunities. So Timothy, like all of us, have both of these positive and negative. So maybe you can think of things in your life that are like that. Something that gives you an opportunity that something comes relatively easy. Or that you have the ability to get to a certain group of people that I might not be able to get to. That you're naturally accepted within a group of people that I may not know. That I may not have access to naturally. So Paul is not being a hypocrite. We we would sort of think this on the heels of Acts fifteen after the whole Jerusalem Council writing letters the whole deal right we would think why would he why would he circumcise Timothy well real quick let's establish what we know right circumcision is not necessary to be justified it's it's not required there's nothing there's no work that you can do as a human being to cause God to accept you and that's really the heart of the decision of the Jerusalem Council it's by faith and that being a gift that's of grace. So that's how you're included. So circumcision is not a step which needs to be taken in order to be included. So that's not what Paul is doing here. We have to lay that down um, at the beginning. So that's what's been established. But Paul um, Paul's not doing this so that Timothy will be accepted. He's doing it to give Timothy access. Those are different things. He's not doing it as a means of justification. Look, Timothy already has a testimony. He's already accepted in the church. He's got a reputation in the church. He's considered a believer. So it's not about justification. It's about access. So um, in uh, Galatians 2, there's another young man by the name of Titus. And Paul's going to um, absolutely steadfastly refuse to let Titus be circumcised. So hear what he says about this. This is Paul speaking now in Galatians chapter 2. He said, I went up. That I went up is referring to the trip to Jerusalem. I went up because of a revelation, and I set before them privately, before uh, those who seemed influential. So he said he he goes up to Jerusalem, and he he sets an idea before the leaders there. And that idea is so that um, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Okay, so I'll just pause here for a second. Paul is saying I went to sort this out because my fear was the gospel that I was had been declaring and was declaring the substance of it was being threatened. I'm telling people they don't need to be circumcised. They can be included in the covenant without anything but faith. And so he goes up and he says so I go to make sure that I wasn't preaching a, a wrong gospel or that I wasn't preaching in vain that all I had done was wrong. And then Directly on the heels of that, he says, and even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. So he's, he's uh, affirmed or confirmed in what he said, that, that it's not necessary for, for there to be any steps. And again, though he was a Greek. So now we have two guys, one who's a Jew and a Greek, half and half, and one who's just a Greek, one who's just totally pagan. And why? So in that case, he refuses to let Titus be circumcised. Well, To circumcise Titus would have been a compromise of the gospel. That's what he just said. He said, I went to make sure that what I was saying was true. And so once that was confirmed, there's no question about whether or not somebody does or does not need to be circumcised. So he refuses to let Titus be circumcised because that would be a confusion of the issue. It would say, you know what, maybe there is a step that you need to take. Or it would be like a sense of merit. It's like, well, yeah, you don't need it, but if you do it, that'll make you better, right? Right? So you could see how that that would confuse the issue. The gospel will become less clear than it is. Okay, So in that sense, um, he doesn't let Titus be circumcised. But for for Timothy, because it's not an essential, it's a choice. It's an opportunity now. It's a freedom. It's something that he can choose to do or not do for uh, for the right purposes. So why does Paul do this? Well, he tells us because of the Jews that were in those places. Because of the Jews that were in those places, he wants access to those Jews. And so here's where we get some of the clarifications from last week, sort of where we left off, which is when when, uh, opinions diverge and when there's different calls to faithfulness, like what do we do? How do we sort those things out? How often should we defer our rights to others? How often should we sacrifice in order that other people might have the benefit that we uh, are probably rightly entitled to? So here's the deal. Preferences and rights always deal in terms of freedoms. They never deal with essentials. Can I say that again? If we're talking about a difference in opinion or a difference in preference, those deal with non-essential things like not the gospel and not sin and not God's word. If it's in one of those categories, gospel, sin, God's word, that's not a that's not a agree to disagree category. But in all the other places, you have freedom to disagree. Now, you're implored over and over and over, exhorted to, if at all possible, lay down your rights so that somebody else is not caused an issue because you think you're right and they think they're right. So if, if at all possible, you do that in every case. And you're like, when? In every case. Why? Because the more mature person can lay down what they know to not be essential so that somebody else can move forward. Can I say that again? The more mature person can lay down something that's not essential for the good of the the immature person, not because they're immature like stupid, immature because they haven't developed the sense enough to know that that thing isn't essential. Does that make sense? So Paul applies this to all, all across the board. If you think it's important to celebrate one day over another, and I think it's not, I should defer to the person whose conscience is bound to that day. If, if I think drinking is okay and you think it's terrible, I should defer my right to, to, uh, to partake in alcohol so that I don't make an issue for you. That's the more mature position. And we're always implored to do that. Romans 14, scribble that down if you want to read that chapter. So in the case that we can lay it down in the sense of freedoms, we should always do that. He says, for two reasons, though. We need to make sure that the the times that we make those decisions, we do it from a clear conscience, that we're actually convinced that to do otherwise would be sin, okay? So you do it from a clear conscience, and then he finishes that later on, and he says, so that anything that does not proceed from faith is sin, so that if you're not doing it as an act of faith, it's it's a sinful activity to do it. So just... Uh, remind yourself to read through Romans 14 if you want a little more uh, detail on the issue. So why does Paul do this? Because of the Jews that are in those places. It's about access to get to those Jews. He, he, he is not talking about something, it's, a, it's essential, it's a freedom that he has to, uh, the opportunity to lay down. Timothy could perhaps choose not to lay down this freedom. And he could serve as a pastor, maybe in Derby where he's at right now. He could stay there, And not avail himself of an opportunity that he was born with, something that somebody else may not have the opportunity to do. But because he's going to choose to sacrifice to do that, he's going to be able to reach not just those who are in the church right now, the Gentiles, but he's going to be able to reach also the Jews. So it says, they went on their way through the cities and they delivered to them for observant the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. That's the letter that they're carrying. That says this exact thing. You don't have to be circumcised to be included in the covenant. Just abstain from things that show that you're not faithful to um, Christ. And it says, because of this, the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Okay? Two things happen out of this. Because Timothy is circumcised, because he lays down something that we may not be able to relate to. Okay? So that's the how. How did Timothy become all things to all people so that by all means he might save some? in this sense, at the opportunity, lays down his freedom so that he can reach a people that other people don't have the opportunity to get to, okay? Now, you're like, how does that apply to me, okay? Well, we're going to get there, and that's the point of today, but the point of that is that there's two things that happen out of it. It's not just benefiting the church. It's benefiting those who are outside the church, right? It's both, so there's a gospel priority. It's a gospel-powered thing that happens, and it happens in discipleship and evangelism. It increased in faith. That means they got deeper and stronger. They grew in their knowledge of what's good and bad, but it also reached to those that were outside. And so in the evangelism and the outreach, um, it, it, has, it bears fruit in both. And I think, there we go. So it bears fruit in both avenues. There's two targets of this, discipleship and evangelism. The church benefits and those who are outside the church both benefit. And so the message of the gospel that God is reconciling people to himself, not by their qualifications, but purely by grace, the power of that message, yes, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. But listen, your witness is the means. It enhances that. So think about this. You're lost and stranded in the desert. You are about to die. You've been there for two days, totally parched, can't move another inch, okay? You know that it is certain death for you, and yet, off in the distance, you see somebody making their way towards you, right? And you know that to get to you, they had to travel just as far as you did through the desert, right? They've made their way. They're getting there. They see you. They spy you. They're after you. They are, their one mission is to get to you. And when they get to you, they offer you the best, coldest drink of water that you ever had in your whole life. Right? Now, is the power in the drink of water? Yes. Right? You, you absolutely need the water to survive. You need it to keep going. But there's also power in the person that risked all to get to you to give you that water. Yes? Yes? There's like an enhanced like appreciation. It's not just that you, you know, went out of your way to come out of the parking lot to meet me here 10 feet away. You risked life and limb to give me water, okay? That's what's at play here. He's laying down what he doesn't have to lay down and it communicates something important to those that he's trying to communicate it to. I'm willing to lay down everything that I can to reach you in the middle of where you're at. And that's the point. It's it's getting to go where you can't go otherwise. If there's a bridge... To get to a place that you can't get to, and Paul says, "So long as it's not sin to get there, I'm going to take that bridge. I'm going to get to the other side of it, so that by all means, every opportunity I'm given, I'll lay it down, so that I can reach some." Now, I'm going to get to closing here, but I'm going to remind you where we started, so that I can give you some applications. I'm free from all. There's Paul's not bound to any particular culture. There's nothing he has to observe to be okay with God. He sees that. That's a mature view on the world. There's nothing that he must do to be accepted. But I have made myself a servant to them in the sense that whatever they're bound by, whatever's going to keep me from getting to them, I'm willing to lay that down so that I can qualify to get there. I'll do that. Why? So that I might win more of them. So then he goes on to talk about how he becomes like the Jews because they're under the law, so I'll follow the law. Well, when I'm going to the people that are outside the law, I'll pretend that I'm just like them. Not pretend, but he he just partakes because that's what it is. Here's the deal. Why? So that he can win more. So that by all means, he might save some. Opportunity often costs our freedom. And here's the problem. Way, 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 and however many more ways you want to put on there, we choose not to avail ourselves of the opportunity, retain our freedom at the cost of other people. There's so few people that are faithful in this area. And so the application of this was somewhat obscured last week because it wasn't quite as tangible. But here it is set before you. What opportunity do you have that you're unwilling to lay down a right or a freedom for the good of somebody else, whether that's somebody inside the church or outside the church? So I think we're presented with these all the time. And instead of seeing it as the opportunity, we hide behind freedom and use it as an excuse to not go. Well, I'm free not to do that. I'm free to do whatever I want. Therefore, I won't. So let me just give you a a very superficial example, because I think it will cause you to see um, the substance of it, but also maybe identify what's going on here. If Paul was trying to reach uh, the people of our culture today, okay, he would not go and participate in whatever sinful activity was going on in order to reach people. But if he knew that by, by not wearing a cross, right, a piece of jewelry, by not wearing a cross, that he would be able to at least start a conversation with somebody on their turf they would at least engage with him, right? Is Paul free to wear a cross or not wear a cross? Yes, absolutely. There's no substance to that. You might choose, you might, it has great significance to those that choose to wear something like that, right? And you're free to do it. You're free to not do it. And it has no bearing on whether or not you're justified or accepted in the church or with God. That's a true freedom. But Paul would say, if this thing is keeping me from talking to you, I'll, I'll forego Wearing this cross. Okay. Now, that seems silly. That's like a jewelry thing because maybe you don't wear a cross. But now I want you to think about the things that you have as this barrier that you know you're free to do. And you know that by doing those things, the people outside tend to reject your advances or outright just wouldn't even give you the time of day, right? And we think that we're being evangelistic. But really, we're not. We're, we're flaunting our freedom at the cost of somebody actually hearing the words that we're saying, actually perceiving what it is that we want to extend to them, and so in that way, we're actually making our freedoms a barrier to them hearing the gospel and you're getting to them. So the is all things; it's every opportunity that you can lay down at any point without sin, without obscuring the gospel. Does not wearing a cross obscure the gospel? Absolutely not. But it gives them the opportunity to give the message. Why? Because there's a lot of all people out there. The people that are here. Now, you're good people. I love all of you. Okay? But if if this is it, we're in trouble. Okay? I'm trying to encourage you. For the good of others, why? So that to the weak you can become like them, that you might win the weak. So that you can become all things to all people, that by all means we might save some. It's not light anymore. You're salt and light. Those are helpful things, right? They they have a purpose, and when you're not fulfilling your purpose, you're 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 basically worthless. To anybody else is good, right? You're not you're not flavoring. You're not illuminating. You're just sitting, waiting. So let me, let me gently and lovingly challenge us this morning. Paul also says, though, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks. Don't, don't be offensive in order that you can hide behind that to say, well, they're rejecting the gospel. And, and don't be the kind of person that is one way in here and another way out there. That's also to bring reproach on the name of God. And that's why he says, or to the church of God. You have to have a foot In all worlds, you have to be able to participate here and there fully without having any hypocrisy. Don't give offense to the Jew or the Greek or the church. So how do you do that? What is it that you're actually called to do? Well, just try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage. Why? But that of many, that they may be saved. Because in all things, you consider yourself less, and the priority is on the people that need to have what you already have. And so you you say, you see the priority of that, you see the urgency of that, and then it's, you can't find anything that, I would be hard-pressed to put something in your way that you don't feel like you should crawl over to get there. And that's the kind of mentality that we should have, evangelism being our priority. All right, so I have a list of uns, the uns that keep us from doing this. And this is where we're going to close this morning. We have unaddressed Sin. Unnecessarily offensive. Unwillingness. Unaware. Unloving. Unmotivated. And unsurrendered. That's my list of uns, so let me unpack those quickly for us. Why don't we do this? Why can't we do this? Well, the first one, I think the the, the quickest barrier that you're going to trip over is that last one, which he says... Don't give offense, not to the church or to the Jew or the Greek. Unaddressed sin in your life. That's unconfessed, unrepented sin. That's going to be a barrier to you, and it's going to trip you up. It's going to cause you to have a testimony that's poor. You'll bring reproach on the church if you're somebody that comes to church and says, hey, you know, I'm Christian. And then you go out in the world, and you live a totally different way, right? That's, that's, a, that's a dichotomy that you can't bridge and also give a, a faithful witness to other people, okay? So unconfessed sin is gonna definitely be a barrier. Unnecessarily offensive. Paul never, Paul emphasizes the offensiveness of the gospel. The offensiveness of the message is not personal offensiveness. It's the offensiveness of the message. It says, hey, you're in sin and the gospel's calling you to repent. That's the offense of the gospel, not personal offensiveness. And I think too often we get those muddled up and we think, well, people won't like me because I like the gospel. Uh, you should be well thought of by outsiders. People should have a good opinion of you. It, it says, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have the reference, but it says if people re- ha- want to bring reproach on you, it should be for doing good. If people are going to criticize you, it should be because of uh, your kindness to them. And they're kind of mocking you because of your, your goodness, because of, because of your Christianity, because of your witness, right? That should be your badge of honor. That when people are, they hate you because of how good you are. They say, look at that foolish Christian coming across the desert to get me. Right? You're being mocked there for faithfulness. And that's the good kind of mocking. That's not offensive. But we are unnecessarily offensive thinking ourselves, holding fast to what Paul says about the offensiveness of the message itself. We're also unaware. Why? Because we're self-absorbed people. We know what our needs are and those are always at the top of our list. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have needs or that they're even great needs, but to be exclusively focused on our own needs is to be the exclusion of every other person's needs, which over and over we're told that's not how we think about the world because that's not how Christ thought about things, and he's our example. So being unaware of others is a, is a big hurdle, and I've heard this in countless ways well, I don't know anyone. <laughs> I don't know anybody that I could share the gospel with. Or I've already tried that. Or I think you're lacking awareness of the fact that you're in a sea of humanity that needs the gospel. And it, maybe you're hyper-focused on a, a few people that really are important to you, and that's great. But you have to open your eyes to the wider scope. Being unloving is is extending there. We We have prejudices, we have likes and dislikes, and we tend to overlay those on groups of people and say, well, I think that, you know, Lord forgive the example It's the first one, but like, I don't think the Democrats should be saved or something like that. I mean, that's foolishness. You should never expect an unbeliever to get up to your standards so that then you can extend them the gospel. That's silly. That's, Paul, Paul, Paul says to the Corinthians, when I wrote you he writes in the letter, he says, when I said, don't, don't uh, you know, uh, mix yourself with the people that are immoral, he said, I didn't say that about the world, otherwise you wouldn't be able to go into the world, right? He said, I, I said, don't do that with the people that are proclaiming themselves to be Christians and are living immoral lives. Of course, immoral people without the gospel are going to act like what? Immoral people without the gospel. And so our love ought to extend that because we remember what we were, Right? So unloving is a, uh, an obstacle, unmotivated, I'm tired. I and mean, I just don't know, like, I, I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at. I've already given my $10. I mean, like, whatever your reason is, you just don't have any motivation to get outside of your own bubble. And um, my, my prayer is that um, God would just kind of blow that up for you. And, and cause your heart to be expanded for those that, um, that have not heard yet. And that you would be motivated to participate in whatever opportunity that he gives you. And the last thing is the unsurrendered. We all have something that is like everything but that, God. God, I'll give you, I'll give you the easy thing because it's the easy thing. Is it money? I got some of that. I'll give to the church, right? Right? And God's not after the thing that you're willing to surrender easily. He wants all of you, including the thing that is not easy to surrender. I go back to, we don't know how, how old Timothy is, but I promise you that he was not excited about this step to go serve in the churches, in the synagogues, right? As a grown man, hey, here's what we got to do. Ah, uh, is there another way? Because I'm pretty sure I'll just wait outside. I'll just wait outside and wait for him to come out and we'll talk, Right? It's the, it's the unsurrendered thing that's exactly what you need to give up. Because once you do that, then there's nothing else holding you back. What's in your hand? What's behind your back? What are you holding on to that's not allowing you to, to sacrifice for the good of others? Without being the challenge lingering this morning, I'll just close with a reminder of that whenever possible, by all means, when every opportunity is given to you, lay down all that you can for the good of others inside the church and those who have yet to hear. Amen.